Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and it is the season five premiere. I am so happy to be back. This is year five of this show, which is insane. I feel like a super senior now, actually, almost like because our first season was in 2020, we got that extra year of eligibility now. And 2024 softball is here. It's opening day for the show, but it's opening day for Division One college softball as well. And we made it to the first pitch. So however you got here today, thank you for joining us. And a few reminders, the show is available on all the major audio podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, you name it. Believe in Softball is also on YouTube, so you can get that full video effect. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your pods. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. And yes, merch is still back. Click the link in our bio on either page or go to shop.believe.com to purchase. There are three different shirts available, three different colors, covering our bases, safer out, and catch you soon. And also, by the way, the OGs know this, but the music you hear in this show was actually written by my dad, and he was a guest back in season one, my lifelong softball coach, and he calls it Dirt in the Skirt. So a fun fact for you. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll cover our bases, we'll give you some updates and call-outs, then we'll head into today's interview with Kayla Bro. She was a leadoff on the field, she's a leadoff for us this season, and I got a chance to talk to her before the season started, and I am really excited to start things off with her. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week, which is the segment, as you know, where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's go. Covering our bases. It's playoff time, and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. Our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines with everything. From point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything, from the coin toss to the color of the Gatorade, Bet Online is the number one source for your championship wagering. So head to Bet Online and join today to get into all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. Another update for you: I am really excited to share some news that I am teaming up with Rip It Sports this season, the same company that makes Ringer cleats, which I wore as a kid during the time when I was falling in love with the game. I was wearing Ringers. So it's such a cool full circle moment, and their mission is really powerful. It's to elevate female athletic performance. They understand that women and girls in sports like softball deserve gear specifically tailored to their needs, gear that fits right, performs well, and meets the unique demands of female athletes. And here's the best news. Rip It is offering an exclusive 15% discount. Just use the code Jenna15 when you shop at ripit.com. This is your chance to experience the same quality gear that helps so many women and girls excel. We said it, softball in 2024 is here. Somehow we are leveling up again. I feel like every year I'm like, there's no way. There's no way it could be bigger and better than last year. And every year somehow we managed to do it. Obviously, one of the biggest things starting is college softball. Give you some updates there. Just general overview The top four teams across all the D1 polls are the top four from last season. OU, Stanford, Tennessee, and Florida State. 
Still got Clearwater and Mary Nutter back in the preseason. Some of the fun, most fun tournaments ever. I mean, we have literally Women's College World Series matchups in February. It's quite literally, like I said, the four teams that are at the top of the polls and that were in OKC last year are going to be in Clearwater and almost all of them play each other. So we have lots of great content coming up that way. And then ESPN Broadcasting is actually showing over 3,200 games this season. That is fantastic. The first live collegiate softball games are airing on MLB Network as well. The MLB is sponsoring the NFCA, and this includes broadcasting the leadoff classic tournament in Florida. So keep that all in mind during the preseason. Some big storylines. The biggest is obviously, can OU make history and actually four-peat? Can that class get four national championships by the time they leave Norman? No one's done it. UCLA decades ago, three-peated. OU did it last year. Can they four-peat? That's one of the biggest things. And it's also who can compete with them. Who can? And I would say there are some contenders, but we'll get into that. That's also the last season of the Pac-12 as we know it. And it's an incredibly historic conference, but it's the most historic softball conference in the country. Most of the national championships have come from that conference, and it's going to be the last time that we see it as we know it today. Second ever Pac-12 conference tournament, also the last one being hosted at Stanford, and it's going to be a wild ride. Some of the impact transfers as well that we've seen and will be able to finally see on the field this season, Jordy Ball going from OU to Nebraska, back closer to home. That's huge for Nebraska, for the Big Ten, the Jordy Ball effect. It's almost like she's the Caitlin Clark uh, of softball over there in the Big Ten, so that's going to be fun. Kelly Maxwell, Oklahoma State to OU. The rivalry gets even wilder between the two, so you lose Jordy Ball, you gain Kelly Maxwell, but it's that in-state rivalry that gets a little more intense because of it. Elena Vodder goes from Stanford to South Carolina. It's a huge get for the SEC. And in the meantime, very, very rare transfer going into Stanford, and that's Taryn Kern, last year's Big Ten Freshman of the Year and Big Ten Player of the Year at Indiana, and now she's with the Cardinal in Palo Alto. And it's closer to home for her as well. It's the first time ever that Stanford has been picked to finish first in the preseason coaches poll. So, wow, lots of good stuff coming. Also, 12 different rule changes. Keep an eye on these. Some of the biggest ones are allowing pitchers to disengage from the playing surface during delivery, a.k.a. they can get a little bit airborne, simplifying obstruction and expanding video review, something that we're going to see in practice. And then a few under-the-radar teams that I just want to mention. I I think some are really no longer under the radar. I think Nebraska was, right? But Jordy Ball has brought more visibility to them. But then they also have had Billy Andrews and other people building up that program in the meantime. Utah, same thing. They were sort of underrated and had this bit of an underdog kind of feeling to them. But then they win the Pac-12 tournament last year and they go on to the Women's College World Series. But I would include them as teams to watch. And then a couple others on the West Coast that I want to mention. Arizona. They didn't make it to postseason last year for the first time in years for that program. But coming into this season, I mean, they have some talent on the team. They have All-American Ali Skaggs. They have Carly Scoopin, Olivia DiNardo, who's a sophomore and had an outstanding freshman season. And then you actually look in Berkeley as well. Cal's another one, I think, to watch. They were finally back in the postseason last year after years of being out of it. And I think they're, they're cooking something up in Berkeley. Tatum Manzaldo returns as one of the leaders on the team. And Chelsea Spencer has been really building that program back up. And then I also want to mention San Diego State because Stacey Newman and what she's been able to do 
in San Diego has been outstanding over the years. And then last year, making it to their first super regional, it's just been incredible. And I think we're, we're only seeing the beginning with them. And then a quick update just with me, speaking of D1 softball, I actually, I went live with Michaela Chester from NCAA Digital and Amanda Lorenz uh, to dive deeper into a season preview this week. So I recommend checking that out for more info for sure. But I'm also going to be working with D1softball.com for the season. So I'm going to be a podcast host alongside Amanda. We're actually both from the 805 from Ventura County. I'm also going to be a national writer with the group and friend of the show, Rhiannon Potkey, who was a guest in the first season. She's on the editorial staff and she's also from the 805. So a lot of great representation. And so as I'm heading up the digital team, I'm also going to be at some various events like Clearwater, Mary Nutter, and Sierra Romero actually joined me at the Nutter as well. So I am fired up to continue elevating the sport that we love in new ways. And speaking of new things, summer ball is still here for college players. So under the American Collegiate League umbrella, they're expanding locations after the success of the Florida Gulf Coast League. You all know that this is one of my favorite experiences was summer ball in college. And I love that they're getting more opportunities. It's almost like we're building up to that baseball uh, sort of system that they have with the Cape, et cetera. So they're doing the Scenic City League again. They're also adding the Carolina Patriot League, Lone Star State League, Cedar Point, and counting. I am especially excited for the Golden Bay Collegiate League coming to the West Coast. It's going to be in Irvine, California, June 13th to July 15th. I'm a California girl, so I am thrilled to see this kind of softball back on the West Coast. And there's more to come. With the pro softball scene, Athletes Unlimited back in Rosemont for the championship season in the late summer and the fall. AUX, the condensed season after the Women's College World Series, is now going to be at Wichita State. Excellent sign of growth for the sport. Shout out to Sydney McKinney, who was the number one draft pick for AU. And she said it meant, means a lot to her, you know, to have that kind of visibility, like coming from a mid-major and making that kind of an impact. So I think that's awesome. Uh, AU is also partnering with Little League once again. So they're going to travel and go back to Greenville, North Carolina, to inspire more young girls to dream big. And other pro stuff going on. So the first official full season of WPF was last year. Texas Smoke, first ever champions. Shout out to friend of the show, Tori Tyson. We're going to keep an eye on that. The OKC Spark actually went independent in the offseason. The Florida Vibe pro team also announced its 2024 uh, playing schedule. And they're actually going to play teams like the Spark, like some of the teams from the ACL, some national teams, and more. And internationally... May 10th is declared World Baseball Softball Confederation Day, the WBSC, which we love. And I think it's really cool to have that kind of recognition. The Japan Diamond League continues to be elite. Some of our favorite U.S. players go overseas to compete in this just premier experience as a professional softball player. So you can't forget that. And it's an Olympic year. I mean, yes, we're not going to have softball in Paris 2024, but seeing the games, I think, is going to get us fired up for LA 2028, and even more motivated to keep softball in Brisbane 2032. So we're just scratching the surface here. <laughs> it's the first episode of 2024, and we have all season to get into it. But someone who's actually used to being first is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. She is a former longtime ESPN and SEC network analyst, national champion and three-time All-American outfielder at Alabama, and the Tide's newest assistant coach, Kayla Bro. Kayla, thank you for joining. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. I love talking softball. I mean, yeah, what, what could be better? Yeah, Let's be honest. 
<laughs> of course. Also, I realized after we had already gotten this scheduled, we have some things in common. Like there are many reasons I'm excited to talk to you, but a couple of added things too, because your jersey was number one, yes. my jersey was number one, and now you're the first guest that I'm interviewing for this season of the show. So I feel like it's meant to be. That's right. Leadoff hitters, number one. Like I'm all, I'm all about it, kicking off the season right. Right? This is perfect. I'm very excited about it. Um, and it, it's really cool that you're back in Tuscaloosa. I mean, it's been a decade of you doing all the broadcasting, and we've loved watching you and listening to all your insight, but now you are back where a lot of the magic happened during your career. So what's it like being back in Alabama? Yeah, it was uh, definitely a whirlwind over the summer, just deciding to take this job. But I mean, I was in broadcasting for 10 years, so it was a difficult decision and make no mistake. I I loved my job. I loved working with everyone at ESPN. It was just the best thing that I ever could have done as a graduate from college, just finding my path and figuring out a way to stay relevant in the sport and be a part of it um, and not be a coach, to be quite honest. And then, you know, when I had this opportunity, something that really stood out. And one of the reasons why I came back is that, you know, so many people here in Tuscaloosa are like my family, you know, getting a call from your former head coach and who, who's basically, you know, like a, a second father figure in my life, getting a call from coach Murphy saying, Hey, Allison habits, who's been gone for, or who's been here for 25 years is now leaving. And I want you, you just, you have to kind of answer that call. And so I was so excited to answer that call. And I think for me, it's family here. You know, I work with a couple of my best friends, two of my former teammates, Ryan Imuri and Jane Spencer on our coaching staff and having somebody like an Adam Arbor, even that was a volunteer assistant when I played just people that I'm very familiar with. And it goes so far beyond just the coaching staff is how many people are still in the athletic department from when I played here. The relationships that I've formed have really, really helped, um, me make this decision to come back to coaching because it is like a family. If I'm going to be away from my true family in Oregon, the only other place that I want to be is Tuscaloosa, Alabama with my second family. So it's been been phenomenal to be back. It's been such a great experience. It's It's been crazy at times, but it's definitely felt really nice. That's why we say so many times during the recruiting process that it's, it's really a lifetime decision, right? And that you're a perfect example of that because you didn't say yes just once. You said yes twice, right? And you kept saying yes every day and you're saying yes every day now. So I think I've noticed just from the outside a really special sort of fan base and community with Alabama. Um, I was there and we must have played against each other, by the way. The <laughs> yes. 2011 Super Regionals. Yes, um, yeah. It was, it was a crazy one, crazy one. But like I loved the atmosphere. I mean, even though everyone was rooting against us, right, <laughs> and rooting for you guys. It was still a really cool atmosphere. And then I got to go back for the Tuscaloosa Regional in 2022 to do radio and covering Stanford being there and Mm -hmm. and the other teams. And it it was it felt very familiar. Like there had obviously been some upgrades because it had been a while, but it felt very familiar. And I could just feel that energy. And the fans were actually really nice to me, even though I was in Stanford. I'm glad. Yeah, the Rhodes House is special. Uh, You know, when you think about your playing career and you have four years as as an athlete to go somewhere. For me, it was so important to have that fan support. I wanted the crowd to be loud. I wanted to feel the energy pulsing through my veins when I got up to bat. I loved that. And I think it is such a unique environment. And it's so cool being at the University of Alabama because women's sports, it's not, it's, it's teams like the gymnastics program here. 
everyone buys into this university, the, the support amongst our fans, they're passionate about softball. They love uh, just seeing young women perform at a really high level. And this town supports winners. And, you know, we have been fortunate enough at the University of Alabama softball team. We win a lot. So we get tons of support. I mean, we've sold out already. Um, our season tickets in three days, which is unbelievable. So it's a huge testament to Tuscaloosa, the people that live here in this community and the growth of our sport and how much they support and build up the young women on our team. But yeah, you're right. There is a huge culture at the Rhodes House and it is to be loud, to be rowdy, to put other teams on their heels, to make them feel that pressure. And they do it better than anybody else in the country. Well, and you said it to come all the way from Oregon to, to make that decision and, and go to Alabama. Like, to me, I think of people, for example, like Monica Abbott, who came from California and decided to go to Tennessee, right? And like yep. those types of decisions that you players like you guys made helped build the conference to what it is today. And it's just continuing to grow. Yeah, without a doubt. I think, you know, you can go back to the wave of people from like California coming across playing in the SEC and the start of the SEC's rise to one of the premier conferences in the country. And it took kids coming from California just because, and I think you understand if you're part of this sport, that the West Coast has the upper hand in terms of the history of softball. It's just been around on the West Coast longer. My mom played college softball and she's from Oregon. So, I mean, that should just tell you uh, on the West Coast, we just were playing fast pitch longer. You know, I had a teammate that um, is from Georgia and they were still playing like slow pitch up till the time that she was like in fifth grade at her high school. So it, it took a long time to get fast pitch to be prevalent on the side of the country. But that wave of kids that made the decision to go say, I want to go play for a big, huge school with a big time powerhouse athletic department was the change and why the SEC and beyond, you know, you'll get Florida state, you'll get us, Florida, all those teams east of the Mississippi started to win championships, it's because of West Coast kids. And then what you see, which I think is so, so, so cool now that I'm on the coaching side of it, is how many prominent um, big-time summer ball organizations there are in the South now. That just wasn't necessarily the case. There was a few in Georgia, but now to have big-time teams in states like Alabama, Tennessee, is just huge. It's so impactful for our sport, and it's just helping – everybody all across the country to have more talent and continue to grow it. But um, no, I, I made the big leap. Like I wanted to go to a football school to be quite honest with you. Jenna. Like I was ready. And I, I think I made the, I mean, I think I made the right choice for, for football. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's safe to say for sure. And I mean, you're, you're talking about the athletic department because how can you not, right? Like softball yeah. is what, you know, is nearest and dearest to us, but there's so many other aspects to college athletics and Alabama is a special one. You even have like Nick Saban, like, iconic, you know, retiring recently. So like, how's that even been in the athletic department? Oh, it was a, it was a sad week. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it. I was a little disappointed in my first year coaching back because the year he retired, it's like, I come, I'm here. Oh my gosh, I'm ready. Like, let's go. Let's see dominant football. And then he leaves. But I think uh, as far as replacements go, I'm really excited about Coach DeBoer and I've heard nothing but great things about him and how he builds culture. And, you know, our athletic director, Greg Byrne, is so clear that this is a family and that's the baseline of this department. I think Coach DeBoer reflects that. Um, obviously, it's really hard to see Saban go. We're like already have locked him in to come talk to the team because we want before he like he's always going to be around like he's still going to be in Tuscaloosa, but we want him to come and speak to our girls because there's just no better coach to come and give advice, insight, information, anything that can help our girls get to the next level. So 
I mean, I quote Saban all the time. I'm constantly watching videos of him and his coaching style, the things that he tried to embed in his players because he's the GOAT. So how would you not want to just follow that guy and do what he does? So really sad day in Tuscaloosa, but I, I think his uh, his presence will live long past his time as the head coach here. Oh, 100%. And that's how you know you've really made an impact, yeah. obviously. But I think I saw Patrick Murphy tweeted something about how supportive he was when you all won the national championship back in 2012 too. Does that stick out as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, coach Shabin, I think he understands and he really believes in building this community up. Like the amount of things that he does for Tuscaloosa, his nonprofits, just what he's done from the infrastructure perspective of downtown Tuscaloosa, trying to grow that. He understands that also works both ways. He has a daughter. He wants to support the women's athletic teams here at Alabama. And so when we won, you know, he was one of the first people to congratulate congratulate Murph. I know that they we have pictures with Saban after we won. And I also think, too, just um, from his perspective, I know for a fact there's been times where he's brought up us dancing in the rain and how we overcame adversity when there's been games that they played in the rain when I was back in school. So, like, I, I, I just know that he gave a, a speech, hey, if softball can win a national championship in the rain, we can go battle here in the rain for a little bit. So I know I've heard those stories as well. I love that. I love yeah. that that's the case. I mean, and that's what great coaches do, though, right? Just because football is so huge and whatever, it's like, yeah, but look at these other amazing people that we have around us, too. And, like, that only makes everyone better. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in fact, so Coach Murphy just went and talked to the Alabama men's basketball team, sharing our message of Mudita. And now, like, the men's basketball team is using, like, Mudita as a part of their culture and some of their identity this season. And it's just so fun to see how, again, you, you just you have to take advantage of these incredible people that are leading these young men and women on this campus. So why would you not want to pick the brain, have them come talk to your team and make an influence? But, yeah, Murph is all aboard the uh, men's basketball train now. Nate Oates has got Mudita as a part of their culture <laughs> this season. Well, okay. So for the listeners who might not be familiar with Mudita, can you explain a little bit for them? Yeah. So Medita is um, basically uh, the mantra of Alabama softball. We use it to kind of explain the baseline of our, our foundation of our culture, which is that you have just this selfless, like, joy and other people's success. So you're not jealous. Um, you want them to succeed just as much as you want yourself to succeed. You are, I think it's vicarious joy in other people's success is basically the definition of it. So that may, that means that when you go out and play, if somebody gets a hit and you don't, you're just as happy for the person that got a hit as you would be if it was yourself. And, and to be quite honest, Jenna, like sometimes like it's more for these girls. It's They celebrate their teammates more than they would celebrate themselves. They're more excited that somebody's successful. Somebody gets that big hit. Somebody gets the big strikeout to end an inning. And I think that's what's cool. Um, you know, when I played, we didn't have the name. Like, the, the word Mudita didn't come into play until after I had graduated. That was, like, I think the theme of the next year's team. But I feel like it was part of my team just as much because we didn't have a name for it. But it was still something that – we kind of shared amongst our program. And I think when I was playing, it was more like the sooner you realize it's not all about you, the better off you'll be. Like, it's not about you. It's it's about the team. It's about how can we uplift the team and each other, not just yourself. So I think that's just been a part of Murph's philosophy and it's carried us through and it's been the backbone is when things are tough. And last year's team is a perfect example. Montana Fouts gets hurt. Nobody thinks that they can do anything. Um, 
everybody's doubting them because they got a super high bid into the regionals as like a number five seed. Everybody was upset about that. Nobody believed them and they believed in themselves and, and that's all that matters. So it's definitely, uh, you can see it in our program, which is really cool. Well, isn't it funny that you win more? <laughs> Not just when you believe in yourselves, obviously, but when you when you actually are happy for your teammates as well. Like you actually end up winning more as a team when things like that happen. A thousand percent. Yeah. When you, when you make it all about yourself and when you step in the box with uh, the philosophy that like, Hey, I'm just going to go get me and take care of me and I'm going to get mine. I'm going to walk away and everything's going to be okay. No matter what, if we win, lose, but I went four for four, it it might feel good in that moment because you did your job in that moment, but in a long-term capacity, you're not going to get anything out of it. You're not going to matter at the end of the year if you're, 500 or you're 44 and 10, like it just won't matter that much to you. And that kind of culture is what pushes you in times of adversity. When you believe in something beyond just yourself, when things are hard, when things are challenging, when you're slumping, it gives you something to lean on. And when that happens amongst the team and you're all leaning on each other and you all believe in each other, you can take it to way bigger heights, despite the fact that you guys are slumping, you are challenged, you are in the grind of SEC, you're facing Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee and back-to-back-to-back weekends, and it is tough. That's what gets you through is that that mentality and that belief in something. Because if you stay tuned inside your head, as you know, like that is the <laughs> fastest way <laughs> to be a bad hitter right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can remember um, spending a little too much time in my head back right. in my day. Yep. Great. Yep. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> we all do it. We all do it. Well, I mean, the thing is, is we keep coming back to culture, and we're talking about like icons like Nick Saban, but, you know, Patrick Murphy's an icon in, in the softball world and obviously in the Alabama athletics world. And you said it, you're like, when your head coach calls you, you answer the call, you know, mm-hmm. for an opportunity like this. What makes him that kind of person, though, that empowers you to do that? I think, you know, the number one that I thing that I think of with Murph, and he says this to every recruit, every single player, that he loves you as a person over you as an athlete, and he can really separate the two. He has that unconditional love. So I remember my first couple weeks of practice as a freshman, he chews me because I don't dive for a ball. Like, I'm like, okay, wow. He's like really mad at me. He doesn't like me. And I get into the clubhouse and he's like, hey, bro, did you see this like baseball game on? Like, look at this guy. He's making this great play. And I'm like, time out, time out, time out. You just yelled at me for 10 minutes and now I'm coming in here and you're like treating me like I'm a human being. And and that's the basis of his philosophy is that he understands that you as a person is not you, uh, the error you made. It's not the strike that you took that you should have swung at. That's not who you are. That's something you did. Uh, that's that's a part of your softball game. That, that might be something that you did in that moment, but it's not who you are as a human being. And so he always really make sure development developmentally every single player on his team knows they're loved and that they're loved unconditionally as human beings so that they can go play fearless. They can go make mistakes. They can go try and throw themselves out there. And if they make a mistake, it's okay because at the end of the day, they're going to lay their head on their pillow at night and know that, Hey, I may have made a mistake, but that doesn't mean I'm loved any less. So I think that's the foundation for Murph as a head coach and what makes him successful first and foremost 
you go beyond that, I think then it becomes, okay, he's a great game manager. He has a great intuition for who needs to be in what role at what time. He has a great sense of who's going to play well in certain moments because, again, he just is very perceptive of people and who they are as people inside, um, which I think is really special. This makes him a good coach. And I think beyond that, too, like he's he's not afraid to like hold you to a standard, right? I, I think in – Today's day and age, it's really tough because everybody um, kind of sees this culture of this age of kids and they're kind of afraid to be hard on them. They're afraid to hold them to a standard and the great coaches do. And I think Murph does hold them to a standard. He knows when that they need to. Um, he says like honesty for greatness, right? He knows when they need to hear the honest words and how they can get better. And he trusts that that's going to make them better at the end of the day. And he's not afraid to hold back because he's afraid of hurting their feelings or afraid that in that moment that like, Oh, they might up and transfer. Like that's, that's the, the challenge of our game today. But I think he overcomes that. And again, it's the backbone that he knows that he loves his players no matter what. Yeah. Well, and then even, I mean, some, some folks transferred and then last year, I think there were six or so transfers that came onto the team and, Look what they did. I mean, obviously, there's still a Montana Fouts in the picture, yeah. so of course she's a huge <laughs> impact. You know, her the photo of her like in the circle when when they clinched going to the World Series. You know, iconic, right? Yeah, like, I know I, I feel like I keep saying that word, but it's just because so many things are iconic. Yes, it is. It was um, it was a pretty special moment for me too because I, I was calling that game. So uh, it's so hard, and I, I can say this now because I'm not in broadcasting right now, but it is hard everybody expects you to be super objective when you're broadcasting. And I can full on honestly say that I was objective in everything that I said over the air, but there's still a little piece of you inside. That's your alma mater. That's somebody representing Bama across their chest, just like you did. So in that moment, like I, I was like getting teary eyed watching her in the circle on her knees, because I knew that that girl put all of herself into Alabama softball. And I was so proud to be an alum in that moment. I was so proud to be like, yes, that's my school. Now I can't say that out loud on air. Right. And I have to be like, you know, even keeled. And, and I think I did a pretty good job of that, but man, like the, the feelings were real. I had goosebumps, chills. Like my heart was racing in that moment because it was special. And I think Montana was probably one of the best reflections of what it means to be Bama U and what it means to be part of Alabama softball, maybe better than anyone in a really long time. And that's a big deal. That's actually a really high compliment coming from another alum yeah. also. Like, I mean, I can relate to a certain level too. I mean, with the way Stanford has kind of been on the rise in recent yeah. years, especially last year going to the World Series, there is a part of you, even if I'm calling a game, same as you, like, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put that to the side. But afterwards you're like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. You know, you get so excited. And I think it's really cool that we're just seeing more and more of that. Like you're, you went back to Alabama, right? Francesca Nea is now coaching at Florida. You guys have done broadcasting for so long, but there's still that piece of you that's like, you know what, this is my, this is my home. Like you said. Yeah, without a doubt. And it was funny, you know, I talked to Francesca a little bit. Her and I have been, you know, friends covering TV and we're in the World Series a few times. Um, and she's an awesome person. So it was cool to have someone that was going through my exact same experience. Like we both got calls from our head coaches. We both felt a calling to go back and both felt, I think, 
uh, I keep going back to, I say this and I've said this on, you know, podcasts and stuff like that, but there's an episode of Ted Lasso where like Roy Kent is, he's doing TV and he's sitting at the, the, the desk and Ted Lasso wants him to come back and coach with them. And he's, you have this realization, like, I love this. This is so cool where I am at the desk, but I'm just, I'm an outsider looking in and the difference of being, you know, on the ground, being at the field every single day with these girls being part of that grind with them is something unique and special. And you feel like you have some kind of control over the outcome. And I think that's, what's cool about being back. And I talked about this with Fran too, is, you know, broadcasting is great and I will always love it and always have a passion about it. And if coaching doesn't work out for me, then, you know, that's where I'm going to go back to. Um, but getting to work with and talk to these young women every single day and help them get the opportunities that you got as a graduate of your university, as somebody that went through your program and it's better on the other side because of that program to be able to help other girls get the same opportunities when they graduate as I did is that's the dream right there. So I'm really excited for that piece of it. And that's a big reason why I got back. It's like, I know without a doubt that everything that I had post-college is because of Alabama softball. And um, again, to know that I'm a small part of a young woman getting help, getting to help make them the person that they're going to be and get the opportunities that they're going to get is just well worth it. Do you think of it as giving back to the program or paying it forward? Ooh, probably both. That's a really, it's a really good, that's a really good point. I think the uh, giving back is like, again, I am so well aware of the fact that it's given me everything. So I'm going to go grind. I'm going to get in the dirt. I'm going to go two hours before practice to spend, you know, six hours in the cages today, like helping whoever, right? Like I'm going to be at the field all day. Like that's, that's the giving it back. Like, I'm going to give of myself to help these girls find confidence, to help them get a little bit better, to help them feel good about themselves when they go they go home at night. And I think the paying it forward thing is like, I know because I'm a part of their life now, they're going to get to influence another young kid in the future. You know, it, it's so cool. I, I don't know if you remember Alexis Mack. She played here a few years ago and um, she was somebody that looked up to me and it's really cool because now I know a lot of little girls look up to Alexis Mack and she's helping them and she's giving them lessons and helping them become the best versions of themselves and helping them get to college. Just like that little um, ripple effect is really, really cool to see. And I think that's where the pay it forward comes in. And where just the culture comes in. It's easy to root for a program when those things are all the case, you know, like when that yeah. culture is in place. You, We've talked about Murph, obviously, but by the way, you, you've talked about how well, how good he is with words. Um, one of the best interviewers on TV, I think, in terms of coaches ever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he, uh, he has a special ability to, uh, I don't know, he just makes people fall in love with him. He's such a good storyteller. He isn't afraid to be honest. He, if he wants to say something or make something clear, he's going to say it. Like he just knows he has such a good feel for that kind of a thing. And I think he understands too. You talk about like TV interview. It's so important that you get on TV. He knows that there's like a mutual benefit to being on TV, to getting on there, to telling everybody, thanks for being here at the end of every single TV. Interview. <laughs> every time. He knows that he understands the gratitude piece of that is like softball wouldn't be where it is without the TV side of it. He knows that 
he wouldn't be where he is without the TV side, the media, the opportunities to play in, in front of large audiences, to have somebody across the country in Eugene, Oregon, have an idea of what Alabama softball is all about before she even goes there because it was on TV a couple times at the World Series. He gets that. And so I think it's cool. He gets an opportunity to, again, show who he is a little bit too. It's a, it's a little glimpse. It's a little nugget, but it matters. Oh, it matters a ton. And you're right. It's, it's like understanding. It's easy because as coaches, as players, we just want to focus on like what we're doing. Right. And we should, like, if you're in that position, you should, but there is a bigger picture too. And I just, I have always gotten that impression that he's really good at balancing both of those things. And I think that's obviously helped the program and the conference in terms of growth. Uh, I mean, he's been a big part of that in addition oh, to players. Yeah. You're 100% right. Like, you nailed it. He's just been so cognizant of how much what he does and what our team does impacts the community, how receptive you are on bigger scales. Like, I remember when I played – couple things that stood out to me. It's like, okay, we're hand delivering season tickets. Like you're going to go out, you're going to knock on people's doors. They don't do that anymore. It's, I get why not. But uh, <laughs> just that, that stuff is that you, you give that people the personal note, um, the personal thank you, whatever it is. He understands what that means um, that somebody's going to be more likely to come back to order a season ticket next year because somebody delivered hand delivered theirs to their door. The other thing, again, just thinking beyond the obvious is when Twitter started, I was in school. He was like, we're going to do this like hashtag thing. And it's like going to be Bama SB. And I'm like, what, why do we need to do this? Like, are you serious? What is this Twitter thing? Like Murph, do we really need to do this? We still use hashtag Bama SB today on Twitter. Like we have one of the biggest followings on Twitter. We actually compared and contrasted even to all of the other like sports in our department. We are these only. We are second only to football and Twitter, Instagram followers in our university's athletic department. I know we're one of the biggest in softball as well. So we just understand, and he understands that um, when you get people to watch, to buy in, uh, it goes both ways. You're going to get more supported, and then it's going to grow even more. Well, back in your broadcast days, which weren't very long ago, so it's kind of <laughs> silly to say that, but you know, back in your broadcast days. Yeah. Um, when you would interview him on TV, what was that sort of feeling like? It's so funny when you talk to somebody in a professional manner, but you're like, it's like your second dad, right? So you're like, <laughs> hey, Murph, but also like, <laughs> like usually when you, you say, hey, coach or, you know, whoever it is, but like I, I would always say, hey, Murph, because I think there's a balance to strike, right? I don't want to sit here and pretend that I don't have a relationship with him. He's my coach. Like I can call him Murph. That's what I would call him. So I I always kind of felt like there's that kind of, I need to be professional. I need to be well-spoken. I always want to make sure that um, I put on my broadcaster hat, but at the same time, like this is somebody that has had tremendous influence on my life. Um, I can talk to him in a way that I feel comfortable and that I think he also responds well to Murph, I think appreciates and loves relationships. And so if he knows that you can joke with them, if you can have some fun with them, if you can ask him a question, that's not what adjustments do you need to make next inning? You know, I think that goes a long way for him. So I think it was, it was kind of a fun, but it always is always just kind of felt a little bit weird. Cause again, you're just, it's a unique professional personal bridge that you got to close the gap on. A hundred percent nailed it. In my opinion, the same thing. I felt the same thing when I've interviewed coach Alistair at Stanford because yeah. she was an yeah. assistant yep. when I was a freshman. So there was some overlap there. She recruited my whole class, you know, all that stuff. Um, and you just, you kind of know like how they are too. So you're like, well, what buttons can I push right here? <laughs> what can't I push? 
But yep. also, I think that adds value to a broadcast, though, because you're right. It's like not the same old thing, same old conversation every single time. So it, you're totally right, though, about there needing to be a balance because it's like, of course, you're trying to like be objective and and be professional. But like at the same time, like let's utilize the knowledge and the insight and the relationships that you have too to make the broadcast even better and give the audience more information, you know, so it's it is an interesting place to be. Yeah, I think too, without a doubt, something I think of is I know that a lot of fans from a broadcast perspective really don't like when an like an like an alum calls their alma mater's game. It's like they're biased. But honestly, like I can tell you right now, whether you talk to Amanda Scarborough, Madison Shipman, me, Danielle Laurie, the hardest we're gonna be on is our own program. We're gonna be so like because you know it, because you've been a part of it and you have the highest expectations. So we're never going to be easier. I, I'm never going to call it easy on my own team because I, I went through it. I know the standard. I know what it should look like. So I'm almost like more objective to my own program. So I think it's funny when everybody's like, oh, they're biased. It's like, no, they're just extremely knowledgeable. They know exactly what their coach is going to say. They know exactly what the players are going through right now because they've literally been in their shoes. And for all of those players that I just mentioned, for the most part, until Joe Evans retired at Texas A&M, like those were our coaches too. I mean, Heather Tarr is still at Washington. Danielle still like knows Heather Tarr is her coach. And now she follows her. Same thing with Karen Weekly. So, um, and the same experience I had with Coach Murphy. So it's definitely a unique thing. And I hope fans recognize that, there is no bias. I mean, it's insider knowledge because we've been there. And I can tell you right now, we're never going to take it easy on our teams, as you probably know, too. <laughs> you're so right. Because you also know, like, you know, you're like, I know you practice yes. that all week. Yes. And that, so the frustration is also, like, easier yes. to come by yes. in a way. I would even judge the way they, like, roll up the tarp sometimes, you I know, know, in between innings. Because I'm like, that. that's not the yes. best way to do it. You know, it's, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so true. And I, I laugh too, because one of the most fun times I've ever had on TV was doing the throwback throwdown game with Madison Shipman last yes. year, because we could be a little bit more kind of, let's just tell it how it is. Let's give our inside opinion. Let's um, give people a larger glimpse. And honestly, the fans loved it because I think it just showed um, kind of a little bit what's really going not what's really going on in our head, but just a little a broader experience of what's going on in our head. And being free to be like, no, I actually, I was there. I did that. It sh- that ground ball should look like this. And that's okay. Here's what Murph would say in this situation. Here's what happened to me. Here's a funny yeah. <laughs> story about me looking silly. Like it was great. Yeah. That was so fun to watch. I 100% was going to ask you about it. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's so fun. And to your point, even if they're, let's even give fans, okay, fine. Maybe there is a little bias. I agree with you. I, I think it's more knowledge. I like the way that you put that. But yeah. even if you give that to them, it's like, well, you have it on both sides now. So it's balanced out anyway Mm -hmm. in that case. And I think it was just so, so fun. It seems like other than maybe doing what you're doing now, which is being directly a part of the program, that's kind of like the dream, right? (laughs) Is to do something like that. I know. It's funny because I think about some of the things that I'm not going to get to do now that I'm in broadcasting. And definitely that was – we were going to run it back, I think, this year because Tennessee's playing at Alabama. And that was one of the things I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to get to do that. So maybe they'll put the headset on me when I'm coaching and I see if so. I can have some conversation with Maddie. Cause um, I think that was the unique experience too. And people don't maybe don't realize is that Maddie and I played against each other for three years. And I think we calculated it. I think we played each other like eight or nine times in that span. Cause we played each other in supers one year. We played each other at the world series. We played each other in sec championship tournaments. Like we just played against each other a lot and both, 
teams, they, in my junior and senior year, we won the national championship and they were the runner up. So you're talking about really, really high level softball being played over the span of three years against each other. And I think it's also unique too, because it was like a shortstop versus a leadoff slapper and just the game within the game. And so I know like a lot of fans are like, oh my gosh, we should have these two people do it for their alma maters. And yes, great idea. I love it. But also you have to have like some similar experiences and be playing against each other. And Maddie and I uh, were lucky enough to get to do that for three years. And that kind of elevated the broadcast to another level, I thought, which was really cool. And it also helps that through this process and being in TV, Madison's become one of my very, very best friends. Like we talk all the time, weekly at least, um, if not more. And um, so again, that was another fun dynamic because we knew we could say anything because we were going to be friends afterwards. So it was a pretty special broadcast. (laughs) Well, I love that you wore the jerseys too. That was like icing on the cake. So good. Yes. Um, But isn't it funny how now you're like, wow, I really like some of these people that used to be obviously like our rivals when we played. I find that all the time. Like this podcast has changed my world when it comes to that. Like, honestly, when we lost in Alabama, it, we were heartbroken, right? 2011, yeah. like, because we won the first game, you guys won the next two. It was, it was tough. I didn't think maybe that now, you know, I won't say how many years later people can do the math themselves, <laughs> but um, that we would be chatting like this, right? Yeah. Like it is, it's such a unique community. I mean, I think sports are very unique in that way too, but I, I just feel like, I mean, maybe this is biased that softball is um, a little extra special. I, I agree with you. It's interesting too, because I feel like when I, and I don't know how you were, but when I played, like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I hated teams. Like I hated totally. the deep passion. Like Florida, yuck. Like that was just, <laughs> But it's because they were good and because we played good games and because they hit walk-ups on us and it just broke and shattered my heart, to your point. Like, you have these moments and these memories that just crushed you as a 19-year-old kid. And so it just made you just, like, dislike them. And so the fact that I was like, oh, yeah, now I'm, like, chumming it up with Francesca and Aya. Like, like 18-year-old me would have been like, never. But you kind of, like, once you graduate, you kind of have this badge of honor that's like, I did this, I went through it for four years, and you recognize that, these other women did the same thing and you have all these really similar experiences and it kind of like helps form your relationships. The same thing happened, Ashley Hansen. So I remember we had beat them. We beat you guys in that regionals in 2011. Yeah. And she went to the world series and she was going to win the player of the year award. And she was standing by herself and our team was like, no, come sit with us. Like, let's go. Like, who cares if we just beat you? Like you're not going to be alone tonight celebrating like probably the biggest award of your life. And I saw, I saw at the Women's College World Series this year, and it was cool to give her a huge hug. And and she was supporting Stanford. I'm there working in TV, and Bama's there, and we're playing each other. And it's just again, you just appreciate and you respect what they did for the sport. And I loved that, and uh, I will always have a tremendous amount of respect for the the people that have helped build softball up. It was the best, by the way, reuniting as alums. It had been so yeah. long for us, you know, yes. so doing that was so special. And I, to be honest, if we're totally honest, we actually asked some Alabama folks, like, what do you guys normally do to tailgate? Like, what are the rules? Like, how do we do this? And I remember I even asked some Oklahoma folks, too. And I remember uh, it was Jessica Schultz actually was like, oh, yeah, you can do you can tailgate in the parking lot. It's fine. Like, that's cute, though, that you guys are <laughs> trying to follow the rules. And we were like. <laughs> 
Thanks. But I have always gotten that vibe. And I remember Ashley specifically saying how she's always loved Murph, actually. And I think I remember her telling us that story when she came back, meaning how welcoming you guys were at the World Series when she was there, too. Um, But that's what I'm talking about. It's like, it's interesting how you can turn it on and off, like in between the lines, you're like, okay, no, I hate you because I felt that way too. Two years prior to us losing to you guys in Supers, we lost to Arizona at home at Supers. So that was a huge, like when I started covering Arizona softball, I was like, this is weird. You know, like, I don't know how I feel about it. And then meeting all the people you're like, wait, they're awesome. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you're competitive as everybody should be. And I think that's the point. And that's something that we try or really working hard to ingrain in our girls right now as a coaching staff is that, it's okay to be confident. It's okay to be competitive. It's okay to want to beat the other team. I think so often in our sport and a big challenge is that we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be respectful. We're supposed to be um, friends with everybody and, you know, social media and just the access and all of that has really changed the relationships. And I applaud them for making sure that they are kind human beings. But at the same time, like when you get in between those white lines, it's okay to turn on a, uh, turn on a switch and say, okay, I am kind of taking, I know this sounds bad, but I'm kind of like taking away the, the, the person and I, I'm playing against, you know, a Jersey and I'm playing against, right. you know, Florida softball or whatever it is. Um, that's not, my team. And it's okay to get that competitive edge and say, I want to beat you. doesn't matter who you are off the field, on the field, I own this. And that's okay. And that's something that we're really trying to work on. Cause again, uh, it's everybody wants women in sports to act a certain way and we want them to be competitors and we want them to win. We know they're good people. It's the same thing. I know you're a good person off the field. I'm not worried about that. I want you to be competitive uh, and just have an edge when you play all the time, because that's what it takes right now in our game and our sport to be successful, especially with the grind that is college softball right now. It's so much more competitive across the board, which makes every weekend a little bit harder. And so finding ways to turn it on for our girls has been huge this year. It's very true. It's, it feels like never ending. And I get what you mean too about almost treating them not like a person in other ways. It's like, you're very respectful, right? No one's going cleats up on purpose, like in a slide or anything like no one's doing anything like that. But when it comes to like the strategy of the game, when you're thinking about like, okay, if I get the ball, if the ball's hit to me, like, what am I doing here? How's that person's speed? Like, Oh, I know that they're going to try to butt on me. I'm going to get in their face, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, You're so right. Like you have to kind of like remove that a little bit and just focus on what's the hand. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, And again, it's, they, they say like you play like a nameless, faceless opponent all the time. That's kind of what we mean. It's like you just – I don't want them to feel like, you know, somebody that you would go hang out with. Like that's not who they are in between the white lines. Yeah, maybe after you graduate, maybe on your summer ball team, like whatever. You Maybe you know them from your high school. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Like you got to take away their face. Like you got to take away who they are underneath the jersey and just go play against a, a nameless, faceless opponent. opponent. And, and I think um, – it's tough to get that ingrained, but uh, we're working on it and I think it'll, it'll help. So that way they can play free too. I think kind of feeling like you're being mean or like being a bad person or being rude kind of holds you back a little bit on a competitiveness. I just want you to go play f- like free and have fun and, and be the best version of yourself. And I think that's yeah. really, really important for young women these days. You're so right. I think we used to talk about a little bit how when I was in college, like I've talked to Ashley about this, you know, and, mm-hmm. and others, we actually could have used more of a mean streak 
Yeah. Like with and and not like truly mean. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about exactly what you're saying. You know, not like where you're actually a mean person to somebody, but just in terms of that competitiveness. You know, yeah. and some of the reasons why you might like hate one team is because like they have that mean streak, right? And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I feel so competitive with you. But that's like a healthy part of it. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's something where I'm like, I wish we had more of that. Actually, I think we could have done even more. Um, so it makes sense to me why that would be a thing that you guys talk about. Yeah, without a doubt. You know. Again, there's so much um, – these young people today, like, it's just such a different world that they lived in than when we did. They, they have so many more outside influences, pressures uh, between just the cell phone being on you constantly, the NIL stuff. Like, there's just so much. So trying to make the game a little bit simpler, finding a way to kind of, again – release the outside world and become a different person when you're on the field, that's okay. And I think it, to your point, it's really healthy and it's going to make them better in the long run because all of the skills that you build up in, in this sport are going to help you. And, and I know, you know, this, like I think about how much softball helps me on a day-to-day basis from a professional standpoint, like 18 times a day. I'm like, Oh yeah, I can handle that. I could, you know, did this, totally. like I'm ready for it all the grind in the weight room. Like I can go out and get, I can go do what I need to do. Like it's never going to be worse than that. So yep. <laughs> again, understanding that these skill sets and, and that relentlessness will help in your profession, in your life afterwards. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about the game within the game. Like we're talking about, for example, you and Maddie going up against each other as a slapper and as, <laughs> as a shortstop. So you were, you were a triple threat, right? Yep. Like, and, and I think back when we played, see, this makes us sound old. But I know, I know, I know. It's true, though, at this point, whatever. When we played, and even before that, like that was much more popular. And now Mm -hmm. it's like, it feels like it's all about the home runs constantly. But I see a lot of value in a triple threat. Um, I know that you used to, you know, drop the bunt every now and then, and you used to really utilize every tool in your toolbox. What Mm -hmm. do you think about it in today's game? Like, do you feel like it's dying? Do you feel like it might come back a little bit? Or how do you feel like it is now? You know, I think that... um, I wouldn't say it's dying. I think it's changing. I think that um, in order to be an effective triple threat, like you truly need to be a triple threat. I think you have to have the bunt, you have to have the slap, and then you have to have a hit um, or a really, really effective power slap, depending on what you're doing. And the reality is that I think what is tough, the the out of the box rule, yes, but I think we're all starting to adapt to that and it's getting called less. It's not that big of a deal anymore. Um, The defenses are pretty across the board getting faster and more efficient because they've been dealing with it. But I think the challenge and what got lost is for a few years, it was kind of like a hot item to be a slapper. And so everyone just, I'm going to run and hit. But if you really, really know slapping, there's a, there's an art to it and you have to be, um, you have to have superior knowledge of what you're doing and how the defense has shifted. You have to read and pick up on every single little thing. It's not an isolating event. Like a lot of sloppers get up there and they're like, Oh, I'm not even going to worry about what the defense is doing. I'm just going to do what I should do. I mean, when I tell you, and I'm sure this was elite slappers, like I would go up, I would roll a ball down the line to see if the field tilted at all so that I knew certain angles. I made sure I was like so aware of the dirt in front of home plate, not change the way, I watched every single warm-up throw from every single infielder to know, okay, she has a good arm, but it takes her way too long to get rid of it. I'm, I'm going after that girl. Like all those little game-within-the-game kind of things, I think those are overlooked, and I think that 
you can be a slapper or you can be like an artist. And we have a few girls that we're really training and working hard to be artists on our team that understand that they have a job. They need to read the defense. They need to manipulate the ball. Uh, it's not just get up there, swing and hit and run and use my speed. It's no, I'm going up there with like precision to place the ball where I want it to make sure that I'm reading the defense, that I'm so cognizant of every single little mistake, misstep that they could make so I can find a weakness and exploit it. That's what I'm all about. So if you really get down to like the nitty gritty, I think there's a there's some people that could do it really well. I just don't think it's um, nobody treats it like that anymore. It's a good point because it really comes back to softball IQ. And yeah. I think it, that goes for other things too, not just slapping, but like, you know, even pitchers and catchers understanding how to call a game. Yes. For yep. example, like yeah. they're not learning these things as much early on, like maybe in the travel ball days or before they get to college. I feel like you all, when you're then welcoming in these newcomers onto the team, into the program, there's this level of education that's also happening in mm-hmm. regards to that sort of stuff. But I love the way you said that um, there's a slapper and then there's an artist because I think that's so accurately describes it. I used to love it as a third baseman. I played third base at the super regionals in 2011. So we must've went, went up against each other. Um, But I loved it. It was so fun. Like as fun as you think it is from, from the offensive side, like I thought (laughs) it was so fun from the defensive side, you know, because it's like, yeah, try to beat me in front, you know, or, or try or hit it past me if you have to, or whatever it is. But it's, it's just, I think one of the, it was for me, one of my favorite parts of the game. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree. I went back back in the back, back, back in the day, I was a shortstop. And I also loved that too, in my high school days. But everybody's a shortstop coming into college. You know that. Oh, <laughs> I was. <laughs> yes. We all were. You're so right. Oh, gosh. Even the outfielders oftentimes. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. So true. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But speaking of the outfield, actually, yep. your face is on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine as an alum, when you come back, it's like such an honor. And like, how cool is that, you know, when you're coming to visit, but now you see it at work every day. Mm -hmm. Does that feel like pressure? Does that feel like motivation? What does that kind of stir up in you? You know, it's interesting. Uh, so I am laughing because they actually replaced the wall last week. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. We have a new wall. So like Montana's on it. Uh, Allie Shipman's on it. Uh, Bailey Hemphill's on it. Uh, so if you're an All-American or an academic All-American, you make the wall. And there's two alumni that made it back, and it's me and Haley McClenney. And I think Jackie Trina, three. So I'm back on it again. It's the third time <laughs> I've been on the wall. And I kind of laughed because I think um, it was my turn to be off because I've been on it twice already. And you kind of go through and rotate. And I think when I um, accepted this job – Murph kind of talked about it and he was like, I'm going to put you back up on the wall. I was like, yeah, you are. I'm going back to coach. You better put me back on the wall. So I'm back up. And uh, it is uh, the crazy thing is that at Alabama, um, as an alum, you kind of like don't want to be that alum. Like, oh, I'm the, you know, my day. You guys are nothing like me. You couldn't even dream to play on the same field. Like, I, I, I was afraid of that, like that the girls would be like, eh, no, that's not, you played in a different era, you're old now, like it doesn't matter. But I was really, really surprised in um, that how much our players respect the wall and they respect um, what I do, which was really cool. Um, they're, they, it's a place of honor in our program. 
and every single recruit that comes through, like we'll have girls and that that's my dream to be on the wall. So it's not taken lightly. And I know that. And so it's really prideful um, to be on the wall. And I love that my last time I was on the wall, I was bunting because that was one of the things that made me who I was. And that was like a big, I mean, I'm, I'm not hitting in the four hundreds if I'm not bunting. So I think kind of appreciating that skill set of the game was really, really cool. Um, and I laugh too, cause now as an outfield coach, we do so many drills and I'm like, okay, take the angle back to Murph, take the angle back to Jackie Trana, take the angle back to Haley McClinney. That's where we're running to. And every once in a while, I'll be like, take the angle to me. <laughs> so, yeah. See that girl out there. You're going to run to the number one. <laughs> um, so that's been kind of fun and cool. It's, a, it's a definitely, um, it's been fun and our girls really like it and they know that they, they want to be on the wall someday. But um, speaking of the new wall, we just got this, you know, new padding, but the brickyard is now going to be see-through. So we're going to be able to have fans in right field now to expand seating so we can get more people in and they'll be able to see through the fence in right field. So it'll be like a special seating area for people that they get to buy tickets to be basically right in right field. That's awesome. I'm sure the fans are thrilled because I feel yeah. like you said it, you sold out already, but I, yeah. it was always so fast. I feel like every every year I see like, oh yeah, we sold out from Alabama, whether it's that and then even come postseason, sold out immediately, you know, and so that's awesome. I love that there'll be even more access basically. Yeah, it's really cool. I think just getting an experience that's different for a fan is to be field level because that's pretty unique. And I know a lot of schools have that, but um, for us, it's never been a thing. It's the chairbacks or the brickyard. For, for the most people that haven't been to the Rhodes house, the brickyard's pretty far back. It's high. It's very elevated. It's a great place to watch, but you're not right up on the fence like other schools that have that kind of temporary or permanent fent like scenic. You're, you're 20, 30 yards back. And yeah. so just to be that close into the action, I think will be really unique for our fans. Um, and I think it'll just be another opportunity to be loud. I mean, sorry, right fielders, visiting right fielders, you're probably going to get heckled, but that's fine. That's what it's all about. It is. So, um, yeah, but it, it, it'll be really cool. And I'm excited. It's just uh, every year it doesn't shock me, but you're just very grateful, full of gratitude that we sell out. And I know that there's people that are on wait lists for like 10 years to get in the chair back. So that's how ridiculous it is. It's wow. It's a big deal. That's really saying something. That's yeah. that's really awesome. Um, but not surprising. Again, I feel like I, I keep hearing, you know, we talk about all these attendance records being broken viewership. I feel like Alabama is always in that conversation, but you know, to continue getting better, I feel like is a theme also that's part of the program. So even down to, down to the stadium itself. Yeah, without a doubt. I think uh, it's been fun uh, for our coaching staff this season. So Murph's in his 27th or 27th year, I think. And his co-coach of 25 years just retired. So um, my first year on staff, it's Adam Arbor's first year as hitting coach, Lance's second year as pitching coach, Ryan Amiri's first year as the um, player development role. So we're all really, really just getting our feet wet and implementing a lot of new things. And Murph keeps telling me, he's like, I feel really energized because we just kind of have this per- fresh perspective on how we can get better. And it's a really cool balance because we have new ideas, we have fresh takes, but the mentality and the culture still lives on because I know what it means to wear Bama across my chest and I'm never going to let that go, but I still can push us to be better and to get to new heights and to kind of adapt a little bit more to today's game. So I'm really excited about that. I mean, we're always trying to get better every day, but it's been really fun this year to work with this coaching staff that just has really good perspective, but understands what it means to be Bama U. 
Very well said. Now that you're actually going to get into games, like yeah. after after all this, right? It feels like there's been such a lead up to it. What else in terms of actually playing are you looking forward to the most in this first year? Yeah, I, I'm excited. Uh, I think what you lose and in, in just comparing it to broadcasting in general, like what you yeah. lose is the competitiveness of it. Like I can go home, lay my head at night, win, lose, draw, doesn't matter for the teams that I just covered. Like I'm there. So I'm excited that I'll have skin in the game and get to celebrate some loss, celebrate wins, kind of react to losses and all that. Cause that's, that's part of it. It's like the ups and downs. You, you gotta, winning is only good because you lose every once in a while. Like, yeah, you, you know, that's what makes winning so special is, you know, those losses that hurt. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, I am excited about kind of going on a journey with the girls season, as you know, is so unique and so cool because all fall you practice all like we're in practice mode. You're just competing against a machine. You're competing against our pitchers batting practice. That can be um, sometimes tough to kind of really gauge where you are. And I think games going on the journey is like, how can I, get better every single at bat? How can I kind of ride the ebbs and flows of a season? How can I uh, rebound after a mistake or after a bad AB? What's that mental grind like? And so I'm really excited to be there as somebody that's been in their shoes, that understands what it's like to go through that process, how it feels and how I, I improved and moved on. Like that's my number one role, I think. And what's unique about being an alum that's back as a coach is like, I don't know, I was talking to a girl the other day and we were talking about hitting and I was like, oh, try this when you're at the plate. And she's like, how do you just, how do you just know? I'm like, because I did it because I was there because I was in your shoes on that same dirt. Like that's how I know. So I think that's what I'm really looking forward to. That's one of the things I love about just former players coaching again. And we're seeing more and more of that in terms of head coaches, obviously love to have support from men like Murph as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool to see people like you who, played, you know, and they can relate to you directly. I think that must make such a difference. It's, it's very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And I mean, even too, for me, just, um, one of the other reasons that Murph really wanted me back was not only because I was an alum, but it was because I was a mom. I think that's a unique perspective too, to bring to these young women is that I have a kid now and, um, I was able to accomplish everything that I did work a full-time job be a high level at ESPN, um, be a successful person in the world and still be a good mom. And, um, I think that's really important. He says, you know, he wants to make sure that they know that they can have it all and they can, whether they want to be in moms or not, who cares, but it's an option if they want it. You know, I think it's, it's really hard for women today to balance both just the expectations so much, but it can be done. And if you have a support system around you to do it, man, it is like the greatest thing in the world. Well, that goes right back to the human aspect you're talking yep. about. It's not just about softball. Yep. Right? And that's, yep. man, well, I could, I could, I say this all the time to my guests, but I feel like I mean it more and more each time. I could <laughs> keep talking to you all day. I, hey, right back um, at you. You know, like, I mean, we love it. We said it in the beginning, like we're talking softball. What else, yeah. what else do we want to do? But um, I, I will wrap up. I will let you go eventually. Um, <laughs> we do wrap up. Yes. We yeah, do you do have practice. practice. <laughs> like that's kind of important. So quickly, I, yep. I do. I play a quick game with everyone who comes on. It's just called yep. Safer Out. Um, I'll bring something up, topic softball related, and if you agree with it or you like it, you call it safe. Okay. If you don't, then you call it out. Makes sense. You're the umpire. Yep. yep. Okay. Okay. So the first one is. A helmet without a face mask. 
out. Yeah. Really? Because you didn't wear one, right? No, no, no. I, yeah, I didn't wear one. I'm getting this right. Like without a face mask. So I want a face mask. You want a face mask. Like I want the girls to wear a face mask. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I didn't didn't wear one. And now I'm like, that was probably stupid. Hmm. You know, one of those things. Like I respect that. that. Um, But I didn't, I didn't wear one. So I also, I don't know. Um, no, I get that. I get that because yeah. I, I did feel like there was better visibility without one, but I wore one. Right. I did see yes. people get hit in the chin, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Seeing totally lost, lost teeth and all that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was the first one. Second yeah. one is conference realignment. Safer out. 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 Ugh, I hate it. Yeah. It's just so complicated. I mean, I guess for the SEC, though, luckily, like, there's not a t- I mean, you know, Oklahoma, yeah, Texas can yeah. join. Yeah, but a little that, less complicated. It makes a little bit more sense to me, but like watching like Washington go play in the Big Ten, it's, it's tough. I, and I think that's more of a I'm from the West Coast, so the Pac-12 has just been such an influential conference. So it kind of it just it hurts my heart a little bit to see that the Pac-12 will no longer be after this season. Yeah, I mean, preaching to the choir on yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, totally fair. All right, last one is bat flips. Safer out. Safe. I'm I'm here for the bat flips. I was I, I was a purist and like no, we're not ever flipping. And now I'm like, let's do it. Let's bring it on. I think it's good for our sport. Well, when you were talking about kind of like that confidence, like we're not talking about being bad people, but we're talking about like having a little bit of swag, right? And that kind of thing. Yeah. I actually had a feeling that maybe yeah. since you mentioned that, yeah. that you would say safe. Yeah, I used to be a purist, and now I'm I'm I've changed because I think. Um, you should have respectfully if you do it in a respectful like like a like a, it's it's about you and your team like if, if you're doing it in like a disrespectful way if it's like too much or over the top or you're down by 10 runs like you can get the backflip out of here but if it's done respectfully right like i get it just thrive in the emotion of that moment if that's how you react that's how you react yeah like to your point playing free yeah. I mean, not, anything forced is not not ideal. But like, if yeah. that's how you react, yeah, yeah I totally exactly. get that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again for for joining. I mean, it's it's crazy because I feel like you've been talking about this game for so long and all of these things we we're talking about. And now you actually get to go out there and like you're back in it. And I'm super excited to watch you in Alabama this season. And this was super fun. So thank you again. Um, from a cardinal to the Crimson Tide, like <laughs> we also have that color mascot yes. thing going nice. on. So it's a nice, color. It's a nice yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you again. Yes, thank you so much, Jenna. I loved having Kayla on the show, especially to lead off this season. I think the softball world is just so cool. We have women who are so multidimensional with the impact that they have on the game. And she's just a great example of that. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about celebrating each other. And I really just want to enforce what Kayla was talking about, the concept of Mudita. The beginning of softball season and really the week of National Girls and Women in Sports Day, it it just feels like a good time for this reminder of having that joy in other people. And I guess it's not the first time I felt this way as the season has started. I actually went back and looked at last year's season premiere with Peyton St. George, and the foul tip of the week was literally about supporting each other's success. So somehow this, this feels poetic, and obviously it's important enough that we can't overdo talking about it. I think it just comes down to this. Life's hard. (laughs) It's easy to feel competitive, sometimes even with people who are on our team, whether that's literally our team on the field, our family, our friends, people working towards the same goals and who want the same things as us. 
I read something a little while back, years ago, I couldn't even tell you where it is, but about how to tell if you're really passionate about something, like a career, for example. One of the questions on there was, are you jealous of others who see success in this area? And they said, if so, maybe it's not really your passion. That was interesting to me because it tells us that true passion is really bigger than the individual. So I'm not saying we're not competitive. That is a given. (laughs) But being jealous and being competitive are not the same thing. You know, my passion is to elevate women's sports. And if somebody else does something great towards that goal, I'm happy about that. And when I realized that that was the case and that's how I felt, that's actually how I knew this really was my passion because it was way bigger than me. Success leads to more opportunity, leads to more growth, and it's more for everyone. It's why they say a rising tide lifts all boats. And I just think it was a great reminder from Kayla to start the season. So that's it. Celebrate each other. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com and YouTube too. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, and if you liked it, write a review for it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, that's B-L-E-A-V. You can reach out to me personally on Twitter at JennaBecerra01 and Instagram at JennaBecerra as well. I am thrilled to have you back for season five. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.